Good morning. There is somebody with us that you do not know about because through the magic of Facebook, Paul was going to make sure that Bob would be with us this morning. So, Bob, if you're there, we're really glad you're there. We've been praying for you and Lynette and for Paul and for Katie and Amanda and for the rest of your family, especially for Phyllis. I know that she has been working tirelessly since she got down to Texas. But our hearts are with you, and we are praying not only for physical recovery, but that the Lord uses you in a mighty way with the people he has put in your path there in Texas. This morning, um, I'm going to have to do a little bit of a teaching before I get to preaching. So just bear with me. I know you're probably getting used to that. But today, I want I want to focus in on something that's important. We don't ever really stop and talk about it. But it's true, and you know it's true. Over the years, as society progresses, language changes. And word usage changes. And it affects the way we not only use the words, but it affects the way we think about them. Like, I can remember in my life when a web was something that a spider spun. I can remember when a net was something that you used to catch fish. And a program was a performance or a piece of paper that you got out of a baseball game with the list of the, the players' pictures and names and numbers and position. 300 years ago, the word senile, have you heard that word before? The word senile actually referred to anything that had to deal with old age. In fact, a very good use of that term was senile maturity. Senile maturity was that wisdom that you gained as you grow older. And yet today the word senile is almost exclusively attached to dementia. As word use changes, so does meaning. When we apply a current culturally bound meaning to texts that were written long ago, we are bound to change our understanding of some important concepts and to color our theology and our approach and even our actions and attitudes in ways other than what was originally meant. Or should I put it this way, we run the risk of misunderstanding the author's intent. Today I want to look at the concept of the word church. And biblically, what is the church? Now, in Greek, the word that gets translated as church is the word ekklesia. It is a compound word with the preposition ek, which means out or from, and kaleo, the Greek word for to call or to invite. In other words, as you get this ek, out, and, and uh, kaleo, call, 
we get this idea of the church, the ecclesia, being the called out ones. And if you think about it, there's good application there, right? We are called by God to come out of a culture that is self-centered, that is sinful, and into a new group, a new assembly of those who are living by a higher standard. Yes? Okay. But this idea, this word ecclesia, is not originally a New Testament word. In fact, it gets used in the Old Testament all the way back to the 3rd century B.C., almost 300 years before Christ. In the Old Testament I'm talking about is what's referred to as the LXX or the 70, if you're thinking about Roman numerals. It is the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the first known translation of Hebrew into another language from Hebrew into Greek. And this word shows up in that Greek translation in the Old Testament. A couple of places just for the fun of it, just to get you there. Deuteronomy 9, starting at verse 10. The Lord gave me two stone tablets. Who's, it, who's talking here? The Lord gave me two tablets. Who's talking? Moses, right? Right. Inscribed by the finger of God on them are all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the ecclesia in Greek. And it's translated as assembly. In other words, it is referring to the gathering of the nation of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses went up and got the Ten Commands. Okay? It's not referring to the New Testament church. It's referring to the gathering of the people of God in Israel. This is reflected, this meaning reflected in Acts 7, 38, which reads, This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He, Moses, was in the ecclesia, in the assembly, in the desert, with the messenger, the angel, who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers as he received living words to pass on to us. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commands, yes? Okay, here again, this word ecclesia is referring to the assembly of the Israelite nation. Now, there are other places in Acts where ecclesia is translated as assembly, like Acts 19. Paul is in Ephesus and a near riot breaks out in the arena. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another, and most people did not know why they were there. Sounds like, a, sounds like an assembly, a riot, doesn't it? People caught up in the mob and what's going on. Acts 19, a few verses down at verse 39, we see this. As the clerk quiets the crowd, the city clerk quiets them. And he talks to them trying to get them to break up. He says this. If there is anything further that you want to bring up, 
it must be settled in a legal ecclesia, an illegal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the ecclesia, the assembly. In this case, what's he referring to? He's referring to the crowd that became a mob. And a violent mob. Obviously not referring to the people of God. Yes? Okay. So he's referring to that secular crowd that's meeting at a specific place at a specific time. Okay. What's my point? My point is that the word church is not a church word. Okay? It's a word that's been used through time and came into the New Testament with meaning. And we have perhaps changed that meaning a little bit over time. Not a lot, but in a significant way. You see, ecclesia was used in the first century referring to a political or a social or a religious gathering. In fact, it was basically any group of people. Uh, If you go to the stadium and you have a crowd of people, they're there to see Western Michigan University or the K-Wings. Or even if you have dinner guests over at your home, it can be called a gathering, an ecclesia. And it just depends, the size of that gathering just depends on who is called to the gathering and who answers the call. Very common word back then. Now in Acts 9.31, we see a reference of the ecclesia to the whole church. In fact, you see here, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. The news is spreading, right? And the large church, the whole body of Christ throughout the whole region is enjoying a time of peace. Then Paul in Romans 16, 4 uses the word ecclesia specifically to refer to the churches of the Gentiles as as it gets translated to the assembly of the Gentiles. And then he goes in 16.5 and he's referring to a very local, local group that's actually meeting in Priscilla and Aquila's house. In other words, we get this large assembly and then immediately we get to this smaller assembly which is only a part of the larger assembly. You following me so far? Everybody still awake? Say amen. Okay, good. Thank you. Here, when you think about it, the first use is where we should use the word church. It says churches. It really isn't plural. That's already small church thinking. It's the church in that area, the gathering with everybody. And the second time in modern English, when they're talking about the group at Priscilla and Aquila's house, the better English word there 
is congregation. So you see, when we use the word ecclesia, it can refer to a large assembly or a small assembly. But when we use the word church today, we get confused with that. In English, to gather is to congregate. And unfortunately, we really don't use that term congregation enough. But when we move from thinking about a gathering or assembly to thinking church in the modern sense of the word, we start thinking about a building or a location or a division within the church, a a sect or denomination, instead of thinking about the larger assembly of the whole people of God, which is the whole body of Christ. Church not only becomes Christianized, but it becomes limited to the extent that we stop thinking about church referring to the worldwide body. So much so that when we do that, we actually have to point out that we're talking about the worldwide body. In our language, many times church or churches takes on a local us versus them connotation. Like we're different from the church next door. It's really not good use of that word. We should be looking at the larger sense of that word. Now that congregation may have a different understanding than we do. But you see the difference? Do you hear the difference? Ecclesia translate into English as church or congregation. And in a sense, the church is both local and universal. That is true. But locally, the better word is the word congregation. Because even as we're assembled here this morning, we're still not the whole body of Christ. Am I making sense? Okay. But you're thinking, but Eric, why does it matter? Well, I, I, I get it. I get that we are stuck with the semantics. I get that we're stuck with a traditional translation, even when the semantic and the translations can cause us to miss the true biblical understanding that we should have. See, biblically, there is no plural churches. There is one church, one body of Christ, one. Amen? Okay. Ephesians 4, Paul says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is through all and in all. Now, He's not talking about all creation, all human beings. 
what he is talking about is where the body of Christ is. People who stick with and believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he was God in flesh and has come to earth and he has brought salvation to man through dying on the cross and he has proven that there is eternal life by resurrection from the grave and that those who put their faith in him and are obedient to him have that hope of eternal life. That is what Paul's referring to. Right here. The universal concept always trumps the local concept or the local assembly. Anytime where we use the English word church in a limited sense, we're not talking about the whole body of Christ. We're only we're talking from a, a different perspective than the biblical perspective. Now, is this earth shattering? No, but I hope to change your thinking a little bit. Paul in Ephesians 2, 1 through 18, he tells us the purpose of God is realized through the church, the whole body, by means of a continued presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the whole body of Christ. See, this is one thing that's unique about our movement. We were trying to call people out of those divisions back to the Bible and making the Bible our only rule of test of fellowship. And to allow for differences of opinion but to try to get the body of Christ back together as one body. You know why? Because the world needs to know who God is and who Christ is and how they can live differently. And as long as the body of Christ is splintered, we're not going to be anywhere near as effective as if we act as one. Ephesians 2.18, Paul says, For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. By the way, do you know who we both is there? Do you remember the context? He's talking about both Jew and Gentile Christians who believe Jesus is exactly who he said he was and they put their faith in them and they are now one in Christ. Okay, I'm starting to preach, aren't I? What makes a gathering of Christians different from any other gathering? It's the Holy Spirit. It's that Spirit being with us. Because you see, the church is not the church without the Holy Spirit indwelling it. As we seek to accurately define church, there's a few observations that I've made, and, and I hope they make good sense to you. We gather in local congregations to practice faith in community because the church exists in community. Now, 
We become Christians personally. You make that decision for yourself, but that personal decision is not a private decision because you are becoming part of a much greater whole. In fact, Scripture tells us that individuals can't be Christians by themselves. It's, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake gathering together as some have done. Why? Because your faith will die that way. We need body care. We need each of us interconnected, interwoven into, into a fabric, uh, into a flag, into a, a banner. You think about it. One strand doesn't make a flag. One thread doesn't make a banner. What it takes is many strands working together for the same purpose that make that banner. Have you ever had a problem with your TV? You know the one where there's that one picture that turned green, that one pixel that turned green, and it stays green? You know, if there's one green pixel on a big screen TV, not that big a deal. But what happens when you start getting lots of these little green pixels all over the TV set? Does that become irritating? They're no longer working in the hole to make the picture, but they're actually what? Working against that picture. And I don't know about you, but you know what I do with my TV when I start getting all kinds of green pixels all over it? I throw it out. Because those green pixels distort the picture. It's not what was intended. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that Christ is the head of the worldwide ecclesia, the worldwide church. He has the authority to direct. He has the power to create growth in it as well. So, the church is a place where we practice faith and community. The church of Christ is people, not a place. Now, you know that, but why do we keep using the word church to refer to a place? Because we've changed the nature of the language. But that changes our understanding of it in a very subtle but real way. You see... The church is not some place to go. The church is something to be. When we congregate, when we gather, we are the assembled body of Christ. And if we can find a way to do that with larger and larger portions of the body, this was... Campbell and Stone's revelation from Christ, then the church can become a change agent. You see, some people think that the church, we're just keepers of the flame. 
And I understand that, but we're also lighters of the fire. Challenging people within the body of Christ to be on mission for God. Acts 4.13. Peter and John, they're, they're, they're out trying their best to spread the word. They get arrested and their opponents observe two things. One, they observed their boldness, that they had courage. And two, that they obviously had been with Jesus. And in 420, Peter says, we can't help but tell of what we have seen and what we have heard. Friend, have you seen the power of God in your life? That should be coming out of you. Church life within the body of Christ is also to be a devoted life. Changed people. Changing the world by the power of of Christ. You know here, Acts 2.42, you know this verse, but you see that, that verb that's actually translated with two words, they devoted themselves, okay, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, uh, communion, uh, remembering Christ, remembering what was done, not just that he died and was buried, but that he rose. And also to prayer, to communion, in communication with God. But that's not the only thing they devoted themselves to. If you look down at verse 46, you see this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now you see that in English. And what you don't see is they continued is exactly the same verb in 42, that's translated as devoted themselves. So you see, they've devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to gathering together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and they devoted themselves to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not a heart, half-hearted, they continued. It's the same level of devotion as what you see in verse 42. They were out there making, spreading Christ a first priority in the life of the gathering of the body of Christ. And see, this is, this is where it gets hard. Because when we start thinking about church in a local sense and church as a piece of property or church as a division within this greater body, you know what we wind up doing? We wind up defending our division instead of being about the master's business and spreading the word of Jesus. And yet that first church, that first gathering, as it grew and as it expanded out into Judea and Samaria and the other areas, their devotion 
was to bring people to Christ, not just what they were doing, but spreading the word. And they met at the social, political, economic center in Jerusalem, which is what the temple courts were, for that purpose of spreading the good news. Dr. William Robinson, a preacher, a theologian from uh, a generation before, in a book that he wrote called The Biblical Doctrine of the Church, he made this comment. He said, apathy is a far greater danger to the church than opposition. Now, I know at one point in time in our country, We were at a place where you could reasonably think that people had a Judeo-Christian ethic. That when you pulled out a Bible and you said, this says you're going to hell, that meant something to people, whether they read it or not. They had some kind of an idea that there was a God and that that Bible happened to be the word that he gave us, his instructions for us. But friends, we're not there anymore. We're in a multicultural society where foreign gods have come onto our soil and people don't understand when you point at the Bible that it's the God's word. In fact, they don't necessarily understand a God exists. Some of them think there are many gods and some of them think there's no God at all. In other words, I want to be Telling you in a very positive way, the fields are ripe for harvest. We don't have to sit back and think, well, there's nothing for me to do because there's plenty for us to do. And plenty of people who need to know how God has changed your life so they can know how God can change their life. We teach our kids our priorities by... More what we do than what we say. Are we teaching our kids that being a part of God's body is a high value, that it's it's a priority in our life? Are we showing them that the things of God are worth devoting ourselves to with an intense effort? Paul writes in Philippians 1, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one human being. As one body of faith, for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. One spirit with one mind working side by side unity and not being frightened with boldness. I'm going to pause here for just a moment and I want you to take a look at the uh, connection card that's in your bulletin. Please take a moment and just write your name on there, write your, your um, email address down. It really does help us. Uh, there are some things there that you can sign up for. Please be certain to, to check that what's available there. 
There's also a place there that if you need some prayer, if you need some understanding, if you want to find out more about what it means to be a Christian, why we value baptism, mark that over on the right-hand side. I'll be glad to get a hold of you, and if not me, someone else. But please uh, be certain that you take that card uh, and put it in the, the offering bags as they come around. If you're a first-time guest, if you'll take your card, if you want to fill it out, there's a table right out, out uh, in the foyer here where we have a gift for you. We have a book I think you'll really enjoy that takes a look at can, can Jesus be seen from history outside of the Bible? Did he really exist? Was he there? And how can that be proven? Uh, we have that book for you. It's free for you to take. Just take your, your card if you're a first-time guest and put it in the basket on the card and pick up a book. We'd love for you to have it. There's a Bible there if you want one of those two. Uh, you're certainly welcome to that. I'm going to close with this this morning. I came across this several years ago. I don't know the source of it. But every time I come back across it again, it, it, it reminds me of where we're supposed to be and our individual place within this assembly of a congregation within the body, the church of Christ that is worldwide. Follow along with me. The church is compromised of people like me. We make it what it is. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. I am a generous giver. It will bring others into its worship and fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I Fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service, if I who make it what it is am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. Because my brothers and sisters, it isn't the church, it's you. It's us. So, you saw the title there and you notice it's a it's an unfinished sentence. It is to be. How would how would you Finish that sentence. If it is to be what? It's up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. As believers, clothed in Christ, we are the church. Father God, We thank you for a reminder that we are not on our own, but we are part of a movement that you started 
thousands of years ago. As you drew the Israelites out to make them a people of your own. As you move through history of their nation. Up to the point in time where you entered flesh yourself. In the form of Jesus of Nazareth. You gathered people to yourself of all nations. Who were willing to give up sin. And to become your family, your servants. We know, Father, that that body continues to grow. And there have been many saints who have gone before us. And if the Lord tarries, if Christ tarries in coming back, hopefully there will be many more saints to come. And we thank you for the privilege you give us to be in that process for how you still are changing lives. As we close down the service today, Father, may we, your people, be dedicated to your mission. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.